Okay, if you'd open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philemon. We're just going to read through Philemon. Um, uh, if you go to Hebrews, it's in between Titus and Hebrews. So go to Hebrews and turn one page back. Here. We, uh, while you're turning there, this, this, as I looked at this book, this book raises a very uh, important issue that I thought required a. a uh, I really don't. Today's really not going to be a sermon. It's probably going to be far too academic for that. But but really, some a preface to this to this small little letter. Uh, and a very important issue that obviously, in many ways, is front and center in our culture today. Uh, so let's read this this letter that Paul wrote to a dear friend uh, named Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. I am sending him a part of myself back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. This is... This is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. Yes, brother, may I have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ Since I'm confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is not the only book in the New Testament that raises or, or, or really indirectly addresses this issue of slavery. Um, and this is a common, uh, well, it, I'm calling this really kind of the, the Philemon predicament. <laughs> um, slavery is often 
a tool that is used by uh, atheists and others uh, to, to uh, undermine the scriptures. In other words, they say, well, the Bible condones slavery. And when we read Philemon, it, it appears to do that. It, at the very least, it certainly doesn't condemn it. It doesn't appear to. We read in Colossians, we read in Ephesians, you know, uh, slaves, obey your masters and, and serve them when well, even when they're not watching. Serve them well. And, and Paul talks to masters and he says, masters, treat your slaves with compassion and so forth. There doesn't seem to be, at least, any kind of condemnation for this thing called slavery. But really what we need, so, so really we need to address this issue before we get into Philemon. We, we need to address this issue. What, what, what does the Bible, how does the Bible treat slavery? Does the Bible condone slavery? Um, and so that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Now, we're going to be looking at a, a, a lot of different verses, but fortunately, they're all, they're, primarily, they're going to be in the first five books of the Bible. <laughs> so they'll be in the, in the Pentateuch. Um, but where we need to start, really, is we need to agree on a definition of slavery. Um, what do we mean by slavery? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I did some research and did some reading. There, there doesn't seem to be any really unified definition of slavery. Instead, what we find are uh, conditions or, or characteristics of slavery. Um, and, and, and most derive their, defini- their definition of slavery, calling to mind the mainly from our country's history with slavery. So that most people, when they hear the word slavery, they think of the antebellum South, 1860, um, and that's how they define slavery. So for the purpose of this morning, I'm going to call that New World Slavery, NWS, <laughs> New World Slavery. Um, and that's typically when people think of slavery, that's what they're thinking about when they say the Bible condones slavery. And perhaps maybe even you, that's what you immediately thought of, is you, you know, roots and kunta kinte. And, um, uh, so we need to understand, though, that this, this notion of slavery, and, and by the way, the difficulty in answering that charge against the Bible is it's not really prone to soundbite, a soundbite response. Other than, no, it doesn't. That, that might, just mere gainsaying would be an approach. No, it doesn't condone slavery. But it's very complex. This, this institution, this notion of slavery is very complex and, very, and varied. In, in fact, most of the varieties of slavery that we see in the Bible really had nothing to do with New World slavery. But these three elements seem to be very dominant in in our experience as a country with slavery, from my perspective, anyway, maybe there might be a few more, but it seems to all boil down to three, it seems to me. Slaves were viewed as property or as commodities. Um, there really wasn't any, any, anything beyond that um, in most cases. Um, number two, they, they were used exclusively for labor and labor solely for the enrichment of the, of the owner. And by the way, whenever I say owner or master, I put it, in quotations, I, 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 don't we just reel against those those terms sometimes? Um, but they were used exclusively for labor, and particularly uh, for for the the, uh, the benefit of, of the owner. And number three is their lack of freedom or any possibility of freedom. Um, and we're going to see that. By the way, that's from Encyclopedia of Cultural Anthropology. Um, 
So given, given the understandably <laughs> inflammatory nature that comes with the word slavery, we, we, need to de- we need to describe what we're talking about when we say slavery. Or when someone confronts us, we need to say, what do you mean by slavery? They need to define their terms. Uh, and then we need to compare that. What does the Bible say or what does, how does the Bible treat slavery? Not only as an institution, um, but, but in terms of a personal level. So, first of all, uh, if I just did a, a word search. Very simple, just a word search. And I, I discovered, particularly in the Old Testament, um, that there were a wide range of relationships that were referred to as, as slaves. Let me just give you one example. Um, servant, or servants that served under a king were referred to as Ebed, Ebedim. They were slaves. Well, they weren't slaves in the notion that we typically think about. That's just how they were. That's how they were described. So you had courtiers in a court that would serve the king and serve as they, 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 they were called slaves. So, so we see that the word is used. We could we could go on and on on that. That, that it, it is used really for anyone in a subordinate position. In other words, the, apparently the Hebrew didn't really have a lot of words to de, to, to delineate between someone who served in a palace and someone who, who served more in, in the role of a bondservant. So we need to understand, first of all, that this word, slave or slavery, in the Bible refers to a number of different kinds of relationships that really don't um, comport with what we think of as slavery. Second, and maybe most importantly, is that God's word prescribed that Israel live in such a way to mitigate the causes and the needs for bond service or for slavery in the first place. In other words, there there was not supposed to be any poor among them. Now we turn to Deuteronomy 15. We're going to be all in the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15, verse 4. There will be no poor among you. However, because the Lord is certain to bless you in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess his inheritance, if only you obey the Lord your God and careful to follow every one of these commands I'm giving you today, when the Lord your God blesses you as he promised you, you will lend to many nations but not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. He, he, he says, I don't want there to be any poor among you, yet God is a realist. He, he also said that, you know, he hates divorce. But he, he, he's a realist. And he, he said, I know it's going to exist and, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to provide guidelines for it. Same thing here. I don't want any poor among you. There should be no poor, more poor, uh, poor among you, but I know that there will, so let me give some parameters and some boundaries for it. Um, this means that any economic situation, keep this in mind, any economic situation involving slavery was exceptional. In fact, there are numerous instructions to merchants and to farmers to provide special help for the poor. Again, the purpose of this was to reduce the need for someone to have to sell themselves 
or their family members. We're going to get into a minute. We all, we all know about these, right? Gleaning. What was gleaning? Uh, you know, a farmer would, would, would uh, harvest his crops and stuff that fell on the side or that, that the, the was left. They said, leave it. You don't go back and pick up every grain of, you know, every head of corn. You leave some. And that allowed the poor to come. We have a whole book in the Bible related around this. Ruth. Gleaning was a means by which that there would be no poor among them. Uh, they were to not uh, charge any interest on any loans that they made to someone. Turn to Leviticus 25. In fact, most of what we're going to look at, look at is going to be Deuteronomy 15 and Leviticus 25. Leviticus numbers. Leviticus 25. They were, they were not even to charge interest. Leviticus 25.35 If your brother becomes destitute and cannot sustain himself among you, you are to support him as a foreigner or a temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. Do not profit or take interest from him. But fear your God and let your brother live among you. You are not to lend him your silver with interest or sell him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan. And to be your God. So they were not allowed uh, to, to, not just to charge exorbitant, not usury. They, usury was also obviously banned, but they were not allowed to charge any interest. In fact, the entire Levitical tithe, every third year, the entire tithe that was taken up for the Levites was shared with the poor. Um, Deuteronomy 14.28. So all of these, keep in mind, these are just examples God had, had so commanded and instituted Israel in a way that there was never to be a need for someone to become a bondservant or indentured servant to another person. In fact, the, the, the covenant community was meant to demonstrate really the, the compassion of God. Um, if you read, read through the Pentateuch, and particularly Deuteronomy. One of the reasons why God gave the law, um, Moses says that other nations will look at that and go, what a great and compassionate God. The, the, we view the law as, um, as a straitjacket. And unfortunately, it's been communicated in the church, in the New Covenant Church, that the law is, is bad and the law is obsolete and, uh, and it's a straitjacket, it's legalism. But it, what, did David, what did David say about the law? It was his delight. <laughs> no, we are not justified by the law, um, but the law is not abrogated. In fact, it's a crucial means of our sanctification. Anyway, that, that's, enough, that's for another time. But again, um, God created this covenant community in such a way. He gave his law and his, his, his commands and his stipulations um, to demonstrate what a great God he is, what a compassionate God he is. And that, that, that Israel would reflect a higher standard than the law codes of all the surrounding nations. You, you read the other law codes during this period of time and you're not going to find any of this. Quite the opposite. In fact, Deuteronomy 4.5. This is what I was referring to. Deuteronomy 4.5. Look, I have taught you statutes 
and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. They will hear about all these statutes and they will say, this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this? Entire law I set before you today. So right from the outset, um, God uh, established that there should be no poor among them. That, that, that there would be that they would live in such a way as there would never be a need uh, for someone to become an, a bond servant. Uh, it's hard to translate really in, into, into English, a, an indentured servant. So what I want us to do this morning is I, I, I picked five, really five major characteristics of New World slavery. And, and then I just looked at the Old Testament and said, what, do, what does the Old Testament say about these things? So let's walk through these, these like five characteristics of New World slavery or American slavery. The first one was slavery was motivated by the economic advantage entirely for the owner, really. And this is a very fundamental difference. The slavery in the Old Testament, as we've just looked at, the slavery in the Old Testament was designed to serve and provide for the poor, for the servant, for the slave, not for the master. As you're going to see in a minute here, as we walk through these verses... Everything was designed to protect and provide for the slave, not the master. This contract, if you will, was really lopsided towards the benefit of the slave. Slavery was, was, in the new world, was motivated by economic advantage of the owner. Really, Old Testament slavery was designed for the economic advantage of the poor. Um, Again, our previous discussion. Uh, again, Leviticus 25. You might want to just put a marker there. Leviticus 25. Well, we just read it. If a brother becomes destitute and cannot sustain himself among you, you're to support him. So, again, there is a need and... The response was to support the one in need, not to take advantage of the one in need for your own personal profit or economic gain, contrary to what we see in New World slavery. Um, Again, the sole motive for allowing slavery, and we're going to look at more what that means in a minute, is that the poor can continue in the land and that they, and, and, and by the way, that slavery was never forever. As we're going to see in a minute, it, is, it was amazingly easy for them to gain their freedom. The maximum amount of time they would ever be a slave or a servant was six years. Because your jubilee, guess what? They're freed. And not just freed, but God says we're going to look at, don't, let, don't send them off empty-handed. <laughs> Provide for them as they leave. Again, New World slavery was designed for the sole economic advantage of the owner. Biblical Old Testament, particularly Old Testament slavery, was never for the benefit of the master. It was solely for the benefit of the servant, the slave. They might remain in the land. Big difference. Number two, slavery was over, New World slavery was overwhelmingly involuntary. <laughs> in other words, human beings were captured by force and they were sold. 
that are sold by these despicable slave traders. And let me add, uh, even, even in defense, not defense of our country, slavery has been going on for thousands of years, is going on today. Uh, the last time Paul Tanner was here, we were talking, and he mentioned a book called White Gold. So I got it and read it. White Gold was about uh, Northern Africa, particularly Morocco and Algeria, uh, had a massive slave trade. And I never realized this. They went as far as Great Britain, what we now call Great Britain, to steal slaves and to take them back to North Africa. In fact, there's a, there's a uh, what would you call it, a, a particular group in Morocco that are very fair-skinned and blonde hair. They're descendants of these, of these slaves. And you want to talk about brutality. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. Anybody ever hear about the Arabic slave trade to, in Great Britain? Uh, I mean, slavery has been going on for thousands of years um, all over the world. And even within Africa, slavery is taking place and has taken place. But New World slavery, was, it was overwhelmingly involuntary. In other words, humans were captured. We're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about kidnapping and human trafficking and sold by slave traders. In the Old Testament, this relationship was overwhelmingly voluntary. Slavery in the, over, in the Old Testament was overwhelmingly voluntary. And here's the key. Forced enslavement was a capital offense. Not only does the Bible not condone what we typically think of as slavery, it prescribed the death penalty for anyone involved in it. Um, Exodus 21.16 By the way, uh, if you want these notes, I can email them to you. So don't feel like you have to rush right. You just need to let me know if you want me to email these notes. Uh, Exodus 21.16. Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession. Put them to death. If we... Lived, if our country in 1860 was living according to the law of God, the righteous law of God, what ought to have been done with these slave traders? Yeah. They're the ones that should have been swinging from a rope. The Bible does not condone that kind of slavery. In fact, it instituted the death penalty for anyone involved in it. Now, there is some debate in the church as to... Um, those who own slaves who have been brought over by, from human trafficking. Because really, the, the Bible talks about those who stole them and kidnapped them. They would be put to death. The question is, well, what if someone who, what if the, about the person who buys the slave that's been kidnapped and human trafficked? One frame, one frame of argument says, well, they would be put in the position that, that God describes these poor people. They would have nothing. They... They would be homeless. They would be on the street. They'd have no food. Others, and I tend to lean towards this, would say, no, I, I think that uh, there are other ways that you could have taken care of them and that um, just because you are not personally involved in the slave trade, that to benefit from the fruit of that, um, would, would, you would be culpable as well. You, you can form your own uh, judgment on that. Um, and it, it, that part is a debate within the church. There is no debate on those slave traders. The, the Bible is very clear. Um, is that what we 
think of in terms of new... Why do I keep pointing, pointing over here? I don't know. The south is over there somewhere. Um, I don't know, southeast. Um, the Bible not only did not condone it, it condemned it and prescribed the death penalty. If we were following God's law, we should have put those, those men to death. So, the vast majority of cases would have been voluntary, though. Usually couched in terms like selling oneself. Uh, again, Leviticus 25. So this is really the heart of Old Testament or biblical slavery. Leviticus 25, verse 39. If your brother among you becomes destitute and sells himself to you, you must not force him to do slave labor. So, again, um, actually 46. Um, you may leave them to your sons after you inherit. You can make them slaves for life, but concern your brothers. You must not rule over them harshly. Um, no, I skipped ahead. Uh, 47. If a foreigner or temporary resident living among you prospers, but your brother living near him becomes destitute and sells himself to the foreigner living among you to, or to a member of the foreigner's clan, he has the right of redemption after he has been sold. So, the Old, the Old Testament slavery usually was couched in these terms of someone would find themselves in a destitute condition and they would go to someone and sell their services, sell themselves to that person or our family member to that person in order to provide for their family, in order to provide for them. This is the, 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 the core of Old Testament slavery. This is why we call it indentured, not even indentured service. This is voluntary. This is the selling of themselves to another person in order to survive. Remember, they didn't have uh, economic stimulus payments. Uh, Israel wasn't printing money uh, to hand out to them. There was no unemployment benefits. There was no um, health insurance. Um, so this was a way that God provided uh, for the poor and for those who found themselves uh, destitute. Um, it was... Biblical slavery was not involuntary, and any form of, of uh, uh, any form of involuntary slavery, any form of kidnapping, uh, the King James calls it men stealing. Yeah, I like that. The stealing of men um, was was expressly prohibited and condemned and uh, prescribed the, the death penalty. So slavery, the New World was overwhelmingly involuntary. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the relationship was overwhelmingly voluntary. I say overwhelmingly voluntary is, is we don't have time to go into the different forms, but the, the, what do you do when you, uh, a, a nation invades you and you defeat that nation and there's prisoners? What do you do with them? There's no gitmo. All right? So they would often enslave them. They would, they would have them as slaves. And they were treated a little differently, but even they were not treated harshly. Even they observed the Sabbath and so forth. We don't have time to get into all that, but just understand that um, the, the Old Testament slavery was, was um, overwhelmingly voluntary, usually couched in the phrases of selling themselves in order to provide for themselves and their family. Okay, number three. Slaves were frequently, in New World uh, slavery, slaves were frequently mistreated and punishments were severe. Although I've been reading some things that said that that might be, be um, exaggerated. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but um, th that there was probably not quite as much as, as normally communicated in terms of mistreatment. And the reason is, is um, sadly, 
is these uh, these slaves were invaluable labor force. It, it would do the master and the owner no good to to <laughs> to treat them harshly or kill them and to and to injure them because then it would affect their labor force. That shouldn't be that shouldn't have been the motive. But I'm talking about even in New World slavery, the, 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 this mistreatment. Was, was probably somewhat exaggerated, although it, it obviously did go on. We do have accounts of that. Um, they were frequently mistreated and punishments were severe. severe. The Old Testament, however, the law expressly forbid harsh treatment. Forbid, forbade, forbade harsh treatment. And in fact, set specific instructions for positive treatment. Again, we're in Leviticus 25. Look at 43. They are not to be sold as slaves because they are my slaves. I brought them out of the land of Egypt. You're not to rule over them harshly, but fear your God. Verse 46. You may leave them to your sons after you to inherit his property. You can make them slaves for life. But concerning your brothers, the Israelites, you must not rule over one another harshly. Verse 53. He will stay with him like a man hired year by year. A foreign owner is not to rule over him harshly in your sight. So God specifically says you are not to rule over them harshly. Not because it's going to hurt your bottom line. Because really, remember, the purpose of New Testament's or, or biblical slavery is to the benefit of the poor, not the owner, but is to prevent the owner from treating him harshly. Not anything, at, not even remotely uh, like New World slavery. In fact, quite the opposite. Number four, slaves were considered property in exclusion to their humanity. Now, we do see in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament in, uh, law that oftentimes or sometimes they were, they were referred to as property. And, and that's hard for us for years to hear. Um, but not property in the sense of New World slavery. Uh, not to the exclusion of their humanity. Um, what, what do we see in, in terms of New World slavery? That, that these were just, these were really not people. Um, and we see many of the same, well, we used to see the same argument when it comes to abortion. Uh, but now, now they readily admit that they're babies and they're people and still they should, murder, they, they should be able to murder them. But they were considered property in exclusion to their humanity. Um, Old Testament slavery, exactly the opposite. Their relation was, was, was really characterized as being, they were included in all aspects of the family. Let me give you some examples. Um, again, Deuteronomy fifteen sixteen. But if your slave says to you, uh, 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 this is when your slave is released. Oh, let's start in verse 12. If you're a Hebrew, a man or woman is sold to you and serves you six years you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command today. But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you, because he loves you and your family, and is well off with you, Take an awl and pierce through his ear into the door and he will become your slave for life. It's interesting. I was trying to find, there is, a, there is a, I think it's in the Psalms, where the psalmist says, Oh God, pierce my ear. 
I want you to pierce my ear. Maybe it's the Song of Solomon even. And, and it's drawing upon this, I want to be your slave for life. Does this, does this sound like uh, people who have been treated as mere property and chattel, who have been harshly treated and abused, to say, oh, don't send us away. We, 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 we love you and your family. We want to stay here. And th- th- their personal dignity is seen in prescriptions concerning personal injury. Uh, Exodus 21. This is fascinating to me. Yeah, this gets back really to the harsh treatment. Um, Exodus 21, verse 20. When a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies under his abuse, the owner must be punished. However, if the slave can stand up after a day or two, the owner should be punished because he is his owner's property. When a man, when men get in a fight, okay, he goes on. Um, so, any slave that was injured, the master was punished. But not just, not only that, but the, the slave would go free. Um, he, he had to set his slave free at that point. Again, everything, every instruction that was written in, in this relationship called slavery in the Bible was, was so heavily weighted towards the benefit and the care of the slave and the poor. New world slavery, it was all weighted to the benefit, sole benefit of the owner. Again, the personal rights of slaves overrode the master's right, any right that they would have to them as property. It's interesting, they took, they were required to take the Sabbath day off. Exodus 29. So, if you remember, if you were in our Wednesday night study going through Exodus, we remember Israel worked 10, 12, sometimes 14 days in a row. Um, and New World slavery, the same kind of thing. Not, not Old Testament, not biblical slavery. Biblical slavery, they had, to, they had to observe the Sabbath. They got a day of rest. Everyone observed the Sabbath. Everybody got a day of rest. Exodus 29. We, we, we see that they took part in rejoicing in family parties and celebrations. The slaves accompanied them on, trips to, on the trip to Jerusalem. So when they went on vacation, they took their slaves with them. Far cry from New World slavery. Number five, New World slavery, slavery was forever. There were no means to obtain freedom other than escape. As I said before, one of the most amazing things about biblical slavery was how easy it was for them to obtain their freedom. For instance, freedom could be bought by relatives. Uh, Leviticus, again, Leviticus 25, 49. If, if you have um, uh, relatives... Um, His uncle or cousin may redeem him, or any of his close relatives from his clan may redeem him. If he prospers, he may redeem himself. He could buy out his own contract, if you will. Now, this is what's. Look at the detail that the Old Testament law goes into. The one who purchased him is to calculate the time from the year he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee. The, The price of his sale will be determined by the number of years. It will be set for him like the daily wages of a hired hand. 
If many years are still left, he, may, he, he must pay his redemption price in proportion to them based on his purchase price. So they had, God went down even to the very details of, the, of determining how much would need to be paid to, to free them. So freedom could be bought by relatives. Again, as we see, so the servant could even buy his own freedom. Whether the master wanted to let him go or not, he had to let him go. He had to let him redeem himself. And then, of course, we have the year of Jubilee, the seventh year. All slaves went free in the year of Jubilee. And not just went free, but remember what it said? Don't, leave them, don't let them leave empty-handed. Give them, bless them as God has blessed you. Um, Exodus 21-26, this was what I was, what I was looking for. Um, Exodus 21-26 When a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. Does the Bible condone slavery? The answer is, first, what? What do you mean by slavery? (laughs) If what you mean by slavery is human trafficking, where humans are stolen and kidnapped and sold, and who are viewed only as property for the sole economic advantage of an owner, who are harshly treated and mistreated, who have no chance of ever being free, what's the answer? No. And quite the opposite. God expressly condemns that practice. Quite the opposite. Again, it should be clear, and this is just a, a brief estimation or just some verses there, there's many more it, it, was, it, it, it is clear that the institution of slavery in the Bible was unlike New World slavery in every respect you take a characteristic of New World slavery and biblical slavery was to the, to the opposite pole now um, does this answer all the questions? No we see that biblical slavery was primarily voluntary it was a fixed term. It was flexible with early release. And, it, and they were protected. To label it slavery really is a misnomer because of the uh, inflammatory, horrific um, connotations that we have to that word. In fact, that's why many of our English translations opted for bondservant. Really, it should be slave. But or some of our earlier translations... New American Standard, the old New American Standard, I think the, new, the 19, still retains bondservant because they don't want the the the, the, um, the negative connotation to come with that word. Um, and nevertheless, not only does the Bible not condone it, it clearly condemns it and prohibits it. Now, we're, we're going to get into Philemon next week. Um, the, the New Testament really doesn't help clarify that very much. In fact, may muddy the water a little bit. Um, But at least now we have a basis so that when we come to Philemon, and it's going to be interesting to see how Paul Paul interacts with Philemon. And I think that what what we're going to see is we're going to get a glimpse of what kind of slave uh, Onesimus was to Philemon based solely upon how how Paul responded. Um, And it's going to be fascinating. But we will deal a little more... Uh, with New Testament slavery or how the New Testament deals with slavery next week. But again, this is just to give us a foundation 
first of all, what do you what do you mean by slavery? If someone ever says well, the Bible condones the Bible condones slavery, uh, what do you mean by slavery? If what you mean by slavery again was involuntary, it was human trafficking, it was kidnapping, uh, they were sold by slave traders to a, to another human being, and they were sole property for the sole economic advantage uh, of the owner, and they were often and frequently mistreated and abused and they had no opportunity, no possibility of freedom, then no, the Bible does not condone that. In fact, quite the opposite. The Bible condemns that and prescribes the death penalty for that. If what you mean, though, is provisions for the poor uh, to provide for them, to protect them and keep them safe and, and, and a means by which they can provide for themselves and their family, in which, uh, at the very least, they would serve for six years at the most, then yes, the Bible condones that slavery. And I can say that with, um, without hesitation or without shame. Um,